just always great to be here in Northern Virginia. I think the first time I visited the church, there were about 150 of you, and uh, now there are thousands. I, I told Pastor Brett he kept having children, and the church kept growing. And uh, Pastor Brett and Cynthia are among Kathy and I's dearest friends. I have the privilege of praying for he and Cynthia um, every night. I finally told him, I said, you have one more child. I just don't have time to pray for y'all. It's just growing too much. I shouldn't talk. We have seven children ourselves and uh, three grandchildren. Um, so we have Brent and Cynthia here, Jim and Angie Critcher, been our friends for 36 years. Duke and Kathy just goes on and on. So I always feel like I'm coming home when I come here. And Kathy grew up in Falls Church. I think she'll be with me in the third and fourth service. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for the privilege of being alive today. I must admit there are certain days it doesn't feel like a privilege, but we know it is. Um, whether or not our parents planned us, wanted us, uh, you planned us. And you positioned us right here, right now. Lord, you know the fatigue we're facing. You know the circumstances. You know every heart. Father, you know some of the depression levels are off the charts here. Or you know two of the people here this morning, Lord, you know as you spoke that to me, they really contemplated ending their life. It's been a pattern with them, Lord, and I, I pray you'd speak encouragement to them right now. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a hope and a, a future for us. You know the person here facing bankruptcy this morning. You know the pain of it, how they debated even coming today. Um, I pray you'd really encourage them. The person has been having these crazy chest pains and the right side of their heart flaring up. I, I pray you'd minister to them, Lord. Amen. I've been meditating out of 1 Kings 19, 1 through 19 the last few weeks. It's been an extraordinarily busy time in my life. The last four months may have been the busiest ever. I've not just my normal schedule of traveling around the world, but lots of family things. I've, this year I've moved three of my daughters, a total of 3,800 miles in U-Haul vans. That's just a long time in a U-Haul van. And if I, I, I pretty much bought a buy stock in U-Haul, I told them. Anyway, so I, this has really helped me. So I'm going to entitle this message, The Broom Tree or the Mountain, Where Are You Running To? I'm going to break it into five simple parts. We're going to stay in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 19 the whole time, but I'll allude to other passages. Let's start with the place. We're going to talk about Elijah today, one of the most powerful characters in all of Scripture, so much so that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord sent he and Moses down to strengthen Jesus. That's fairly high honor. He's the kind of man he raised the dead, parted the Jordan River, call down fire from heaven, which would be really handy if you ever tried to get the coals in your barbecue working. But anyway, humor aside, serious power. We, we open our story this morning where he is deeply despairing. He's just moved in a, the greatest series of miracles in his life, performed at the optimum level. Seemingly, it's changed nothing. Probably the, the hardest place for a human being to be is where you know you've done your best as a parent, done your best as a professional, done your best as a spouse, done your best as an employee or an employer or a Christian. Somehow it just hasn't been enough. And you find yourself not just exhausted from the depletion of what it took to live at that level, also the despair that it didn't work. 
Elijah had just broken a three-and-a-half-year drought. Uh, he had just called down fire from heaven on the sacrifice. Thousands of the nation had come, and they were in bad shape. Sexual immorality had now become an act of worship in that nation. You could pay a temple prostitute, whether you're a male or a female, and the child that came from that union, you'd burn alive in fire as a sacrifice to the God. Um, decline had so set into the country that the Lord himself told Elijah there's only 7,000 people left that haven't bought into Baalism. Pastors were being hunted and hounded. One government official had hidden three groups of 50 pastors slash prophets to protect them. Elijah had lived out in the wilderness. He'd been taken care of by a widow. But he'd called the whole nation to Mount Carmel. They'd scream, the Lord is our God. We want revival. You know, the change has come. And he wakes up the next morning. Now Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1, everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He wakes up thinking, man, it's a new day. The country's changing. The culture's changing. My job is better. Everything's better. Only to find out he has 24 hours before he dies. And all of a sudden, this courageous man, already depleted, gives in to fear, runs for his life. I have the privilege, at least it's a privilege most of the time, of traveling the world. I've sat in the Syrian border hearing the stories of refugees. I've been to Asia agonizing as they wonder what's going to happen next in Asia. What's going to happen with China? What's going to go on? Go to Europe and see the fear is, you know, what's Russia going to do? Are they going to take more care? I mean, people are afraid. You, you travel American as the ugly specter of racism raises its head again. What's wrong? What's going on? What's the answer to that? And I find two emotions characterizing many people right now. Fear on the macro level, yes, but on the micro level, just feeling like, what about my child? What about my marriage? I'm doing my best. What about my health? And Elijah ran. The bad news was he wasn't propelled by faith. He was propelled by fear. The good news was you're going to find he was going in the right direction. The problem with being driven by fear or despair to God is that they're pushing you in the right direction, but they're also depleting you while they push you. That fight or flight mechanism may kick in, releasing certain neurotransmitters into your system. It affects your pulse, affects your sleep. Here's the peril. There are times in life when the normal ways of handling stress don't work anymore. Where you're so depleted, there's such headwinds against you. Some of you find yourself, it's like you've hit a wall, but you can't define it. Doesn't make sense in the natural. You feel like every step you take, something's blowing against you. You can't figure it out. Watch this. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, Elijah realizes intrinsically, I've got to find God. I've got to get away from the normal routine. 
I just got to get away from work a while. If I could just get a break, pastor, if I could just get a little retreat. And he leaves his servant in Beersheba, which means oath of seven. There was a well there, and he leaves his servant in Beersheba. And that's a picture. I got to get away from my employees, get away from the job. I just got to get away. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's on foot. He's going out into the desert. He just realized, I've got to get some solitude. I've got to get alone. Man, if I can just get alone, I'll be okay. You ever feel like if vacation would just come, I'd be okay. Finally, he comes to a broom bush. Now you go, a broom bush, that's nasty. You know, that was one of the most beautiful plants in the Middle East. They were found in oases. Gold and yellow flowers covering them, fragrant. Shade, beautiful. He man, he comes to the broom tree inn. He just got it right. I got a little vacation. I've got the right inn. I've finally gotten away. I'm running toward God. If I could just get a break, I'd be fine, Pastor. If I could just get some rest, just get some green space. And how many of you know all those things are really right? And under normal circumstances, they're enough. And he finally gets on vacation, and we've all been there. He sits down under the old broom tree, and finally, when he slows down enough, he comes in touch with his feelings. Kill me. I'm no better than my ancestors. And this man just called down fire from heaven. He just broke a drought. But he's so depleted, so fatigued, the emotions of despair begin to strangle him. I'm no better than my dad or mom. I'm getting the same result they got. I'm no, I've tried so hard. And he falls into a sorrowful slumber. You ever been there? Much needed vacation. You finally got your break. You knew if you could just get away, you'd be fine. But when you slow down and stop medicating your pain with busyness, the reality of how tired you are hits you. How beat down you. Some of you have a fatigue this morning that's gripped you on the inside. Vacations haven't shaken it. Just getting a little green space hasn't shaken it. Driven by something, propelled by something. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And the Lord looked down and realized, vacation isn't going to do it for my man. Little break isn't going to do it. Go to a second level here. All at once, an angel touched him. How many like to be touched by an angel? That ain't bad, is it? Angel reaches out and touches him. Now watch him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Now the bread was baked by an angelic chef. That's not bad. Now personally, if I was on a retreat and I could have an angelic chef, I wouldn't want a bread and water behind my bed. Maybe I might want a big steak, maybe a cheeseburger, pizza, fried chicken. For those of you who are vegetarians, you could have some sprouts, broccoli, whatever you wanted. But if I'm going to wake up on retreat, please, Jesus, not bread and water. But humor aside, that bread speaks of the living bread feeding on Christ. That water speaks of the Holy Spirit. Now, get this. The angel touched him, but it wasn't enough. All over the world, I meet godly men and women trying to live on the touch. The touch of a sermon, the touch of worship, the touch of the presence, the touch of an online podcast, the touch of a class. 
but the touch of God will give you the strength to do what you need to do. It's not enough. Some of you just try to live on the touch all the time. Man, I can hardly wait till Pastor Brett preaches again. I can hardly wait to get into that worship. But the problem is, Sunday's touch wearing down bad by Tuesday. Touched him and said, get up and do something. Now, son, get up and do something. Because all the heavenly bread in the world behind your head isn't going to do you a bit of good unless you eat it. Unless you partake of it. So he gets up. Now, here's the interesting thing. This meal's prepared by an angelic chef. I mean, that ain't bad. Heavenly bread, water. He eats it. But all he can do is go back to sleep. Depression ebbs a bit. Despair ebbs a bit. You ever been in a place where the Bible doesn't even seem to work? You read the word, you think, Pastor Jim, I'm just still tired. Pastor Jim, I went home. Pastor Brett, I went home and I mean, I, I worshiped in the Holy Ghost. I prayed. I spoke the word. I listened, but I'm still tired. You can come to a place where the, new, where the normal psychological things aren't just enough. And I thank God for green space, life coaches, counseling, exercise, all those things. But you can come to a place of such depletion that your normal time in the Bible doesn't seem to do enough. I told the first service, like Pastor Brett, I, I manage crisis a lot. Pastor Brett serves on the, we serve on the international leadership team together and we're in 73 different countries and hundreds of churches and missionaries. There's always a crisis. In a church this size, there's always something you need. I spent the, the, the hours leading up to the midnight of Father's Day in the hospital. Lips numb, face numb. They were sending me to infectious disease. Does he have you know, malaria in his liver and he's been in the jungles? Lord whispered, there ain't nothing wrong with you, boy. He said, you're tired and stressed. You've depleted you. I said, well, I need a rest. He goes, won't do you a bit of good. He said, you need to rest in me or you won't get better. And I began to realize, okay, Lord, my depletion rate is up because these are extraordinary times. And in extraordinary times, an ordinary diet doesn't do the job. Many of you, you feel like you're walking into a headwind all the time. There's a pressure that you can't put your finger on. There's a stress that doesn't seem to go away. But here's the power. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. See, God will come back to you a second time and touched him again. He wakes up and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. Son, you're on a journey you've never been on before, facing opposition that's unusual. It's taxed you to the point that you better eat and drink again. Now, what's he probably thinking is, man, I just did that a few hours ago, read my Bible, didn't work. I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to sleep. No, he said, no, he got up. He ate a second time and something happened. The moment he obeyed God and doubled up, bit into that bread again, feasted on the word again, worshiped again, pow! He was electrified with supernatural strength. So much so 
that he traveled 40 days and 40 nights through the wilderness. How many of that's a fairly serious meal? 40 days. For some of you right now, journey is too much for you. In fact, I meet people all over the world, leaders all over the world. The journey is too much for them. They're worn down, facing things at home, facing things at work, facing things in their country, facing things in their, in their profession, in their education. Some of you say, man, Pastor Jim, I'm worn today. The journey just seems too much for me. I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, desperate times demand a different diet. When you're really depleted, when you're really facing pressure, when the headwinds of the demonic and spiritual warfare and cultural craziness, and you're walking into it, the normal time in the Bible won't work. The normal little vacation break is not enough. Thank God for breaks, take them. The broom tree in's not gonna cut it. But when he doubled up, when he went a second time, he was energized. We recently moved our youngest daughter, our youngest of seven. She finished college. There is a God and there is a future for you with college kids. Now, now, we're, not, now we're just praying job, J-O-B, jobs, jobs. One of my kids said, be careful, that also spells Job. So I, now I say it, jobs, don't just spell it. We, we drove her to South Dakota. That's about 1,800 miles from our house in a moving van. To, she's with Teach for America and the Lakota Indian reservations. It's the worst poverty in all of North America. And I was so tired. I came out of a crazy, I was driving, but every morning I get up in that three-day drive, I just worship. Kathy and Katie were driving her car, I just worship. And as I worshiped, as I doubled up, as I'd pray again in the evening, I was energized. Life flooded into me. Joy flooded. Now, here's the key. Once you found your strength, God can take you where you need to get his plan and his perspective. What normally works doesn't work in this hour for many people. The normal vacation, the normal rest, the normal exercise routine. You know, there are days in exercise, if I miss one of my workouts, I double up. I'm finding that same need in God right now to double up. Now, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, the word a there, a cave, is not in the original. In the Hebrew, it's the cave. It was a very specific cave, and he was going where historically God had been met. A lot of your commentators believe this was the very cave, the very crevice, the very crack where Moses had seen the glory. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the world, led people out of 460 years of servitude, an empire destroyed, a Red Sea parted, manna falling from heaven, feeding two and a half million people. But when we went to get the Ten Commandments, they fell into every time of sexual amorality, immorality, idol worship. God said, I'm done. I don't want to go to church here anymore. I might kill them all. Moses didn't know what else to do. He said, God, if I'm going to lead these people, ever feel that way? If I'm going to lead this family, lead this company, lead my life, I need more of you. God said, okay. I'm going to show you my glory, Moses. I'm going to give you a new measure of myself. 
but it's so awesome. What I'm going to give you is so powerful. Here's the only way you're going to survive it. I'm going to put you, see that hole? Yes, Lord. See that crack? Yes, Lord. I'm going to stuff you down in there, son. Because if you're not low, you're never going to be able to survive when I take you high. If you don't learn humility in the pit of pain, you'll never climb the mountain of success safely. He stuffs him down. He puts his hand over the top, and then he manifests his glory. And as he's walking away, he opens his hand, and the glory beams flow down into Moses, and he comes out transformed. God typically takes you highest when you're at your lowest touches you, meets you, helps you. So he gets on the mountain and the Lord appears to Elijah and the word of the Lord came to him, comes to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, well, Lord, I've been zealous and they've rejected your covenant. They've tried to put all the pastors to death. Now they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left. Ever feel that way? And the Lord said, Only one answer, son, it's not the broom tree, it's my presence. Come out and stand in my presence. The Bible says a wind came so strong, it ripped chunks out of the mountain. That's a serious wind. Then an earthquake came. Everything began to shake around it, but God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire came. It just ignited the very rock. God went in the fire. But then the whispered voice of God came. The Bible says he covered his face knowing he was going into the presence. Walked out. There's a lot of shaking going on right now. A lot of fires burning everywhere in the world. A lot of winds seeming to carve away things you always thought were solid as a rock. Don't let that move you. That's just a prelude to God speaking. In his whisper, Elijah, why are you here? Well, not so bold. You know, not going too well. I might be the only one left serving. Here's what he says. Son, listen to me now. I want you to go and disciple a young businessman, a young soldier, and a young politician. You and your men. And if you do that, they'll finish your work and change this nation. And by the way, there are 7,000 other people living just like you. No matter what you're facing today, what's pressing your family, pressing your health, pressing your life, just pressing down on you. Say, man, pastor, I'm weary. I'm fatigued. I've been driven toward God. I've got a little space, gotten some time off, tried to find him, ever even read my Bible. It just hadn't been enough. Okay? I hear the Holy Spirit saying this morning, journeys too much. Eat again. Journeys too much. Eat again. What's that mean? That means a lot of you are touched right now as I'm speaking. You're face inspired. You're feeling better. But if you don't go home and eat some, take this passage, read it out loud, meditate on it, ask God to make it real. Those are the ways we eat. Just as if you eat my words, you do that. A supernatural strength from God will propel you 
through your wilderness right to the mountain of God where you can seek him, know him, and follow him afresh. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's depleted you, no matter what headwind is blowing against you, I hear his whisper in the middle of the clamor. I hear his whisper in the middle of all the shakings and all the fire. Journey's too much. Eat again. Come into my presence. I'll give you my plan. Join me up here, Pastor Duke. You hear this morning, you say, Pastor Jim, I've been fatigued. I've been weary. You're talking to me. I need the Lord's refreshing. Put your hand up right now and let me see. I'm going to pray for you. Just don't be embarrassed. I put both my hands up right now to join you. That's most of us. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for these tremendous people. And I pray, Lord, right now you'd touch every one of them. You'd ignite faith. You'd ignite hope. You'd ignite confidence. Lord, I know what it is to be so weary I can hardly take another step. I know what it is to seemingly do my best as a parent, do my best as a man of God, do my best, and just feel like, man, it hadn't been enough. So right now, touch them and give them the strength to eat again. To feast on the bread of presence. To drink of the waters of your spirit as they worship. And I pray for a supernatural connection that ignited by this meal, they'd go all the way through the wilderness. They come to that mountain. And as they step out into your presence, you'd give them the perspective and the plan they need. Lord, you sent an angelic chef to Elijah. You sent your son to us. And we say today, we're going to feast on him. 